0: Would you turn your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter one? We'll continue this series that Sam opened up, began last week, entitled Echo. Becoming those who produce gospel life in others. First Thessalonians chapter one and page 986, if you're using the Bibles provided in the seat in front of you. Maybe you found your place. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we worship you and we declare that you are the great I am. Lord, you are more awesome than we know. So we worship you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, you are here and we welcome you here. God, I pray that the prayer right now, the silent prayer of every heart would be, God, show me you through your word. Let me see your son. Let me know the power of your Holy Spirit through the power of the gospel. Father, because we declare your greatness and we also confess our dependence, God, our weakness, our limitations. Lord, our need of you. So would you come and fill us, find us thirsty and hungry and open-handed before you. And if we're not, Lord, grant us repentance today. Speak by the power of your word, your church praise. And we said, amen. First Thessalonians chapter one, lives that echo. You know, maybe the hottest topic among Christian leaders and pastors and authors today is the nature of the church. Never before, never before has so much been written and said about the nature of the church than it has in the last few generations, about who the church is to be and what the church is to do. You could tell this if you just looked at the books, maybe in the Christian bookstore, you would find no shortage of books offering a definition on what a successful church looks like. You'd find titles like simple church, deliberate church, total church, viral church, essential church, everyday church, center church, sticky church, slow church, purpose-driven church, and on and on and on. You know, and while there's no lack of information and thinking and teaching about what the church is supposed to be, there's more conferences, more websites, more blogs, more podcasts than ever. You know, all this talk, some of it very good, let me say that, some of it very good and very helpful, has not produced a large-scale resurgence of Christ Church, a large scale echoing of the gospel in our communities and in our nation. One pastor and author, J.D. Greer writes this, only 20% of the churches in the U.S. are growing and only 1% are growing by reaching lost people. So 95% of the church growth we celebrate merely shuffles existing Christians around. Okay, I hate to be a sky is falling and I'm not type of guy, but I do believe that most of the growth that we are seeing is a mere shuffling around of Christians among churches with very little gospel growth. And so we asked this morning the question that is included in our title, what kind of life, what kind of church would echo, would sound forth the gospel in powerful ways? Thankfully, 1 Thessalonians is a biography of a church and of lives that echoed forth the gospel. Paul said that this church had become an example for believers everywhere. And if West Park and our attenders and our members would become people who sound forth the gospel in powerful ways, we'd do well to consider their example Read with me this biography of the church, chapter one, verses one through 10. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. does this biography of the church at Thessalonica teach us about becoming people in a church that echoes forth the gospel? Well, the first thing is this. We learn from their example that before the gospel will ever sound forth and echo out from our lives, from our church, the gospel must first resonate deeply within us. Okay, that's the theme of chapter one. Before the gospel echoes from us, it must transform us. And these believers here are an example of how the gospel transforms our lives. What does it do? The first thing they show us clearly is that the gospel brings full conviction, powerful conviction. Look again in verse four and five. It says this, we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul says, I know, brothers and sisters, looking at you that God has chosen you. Where does that kind of confidence come from? Paul says, because the gospel, our words came to you not only in word, but also in in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Now, let's note that it did come in word. Paul didn't say it didn't come in word. He said it did come in word. That's the only way for it to come. There's no other way for the gospel to come. The gospel is good news. And so it is news to proclaim. It is a word to share. If you wanna know what gospel he shared, you can just flip back over to Acts 17 and verses two and three, and you'll find that Paul went into the synagogue And he reasoned from the scriptures. There's nothing innovative or creative from Paul. This was no new message. This was from the scriptures. He reasoned with them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, the long awaited Messiah sent from God and that it was necessary for him to suffer and die and to be raised from the dead. That was Paul's message. And Paul preached it. But he said, it did more than just come in word, it came in powerful conviction, powerful conviction. So, "Well, what kind of conviction, what is full conviction, powerful conviction look like? Well that word conviction there means certainty or confidence or assurance. And when the word comes forward in power, in our lives. We will know it because more than just a message, we will, it will produce confidence and assurance in that message that Jesus, in fact, is the Son of God, that Jesus, in fact, suffered and died, that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead. It will bring a full confidence and assurance in that. If you remember back to Acts 17, that this word did not produce that confidence in everyone. In some, it was deemed foolish, it was easily dismissed. To the Jewish re- religious leaders, it was offensive, it created anger. But Paul says to those who are called, who are chosen, who believe, who receive the word, it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel at work in your life will bring full assurance of the message and full conviction of your need for this message. How many of us could give testimony that we heard the gospel long before it brought full conviction? Now, some of you, that would not be your story. The first time you heard it, God moved, the Spirit moved in full conviction. For me, it was many years later. I knew the message, but it came in full conviction. The gospel brings powerful conviction. The the testimony, the biography of the Thessalonians also tells us that the gospel brings joy in spite of, despite opposition. Look in verse six. Paul said, and you Thessalonians became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. When the gospel sounds deeply in your life, resonates deeply within you, it will bring a joy. Even in the midst of affliction. Again, to appreciate this, we ought to at least remember back to Acts 17 and remember the turmoil and chaos that the gospel came within. Again, remember the Jewish leaders were envious of Paul and his team, the reception among the Thessalonians. So they incited wicked men to form a mob, to run Paul and Silas out of town. And even as Paul and Silas flee 50 miles to Berea, those who are angry are not done with them. They follow them to Berea. Now I've been on some pretty rough missions trips. I was on the infamous Nicaragua trip of 2011. What made it so infamous? Well, out of about 20 members, 17 of us became very, very ill. I ended up flying home because my son was in children's hospital in the ICU. It was was a rough trip, but I read about Paul's trip to Thessalonica and I say, nothing's rougher than that. Nothing compares to this. Paul says, in the midst of all that, you became imitators of us and of our Lord. That word imitators there is the word mimic. We've got little ones in our house and one of their favorite games is to copy you. And it is really cute for about the first 30 seconds. It's it's awesome. (laughs) But Paul said, almost like children, it's almost the idea there that you mimicked us, you copied us. Well, what did they do? How did they copy Paul and the Lord? Did they pick up Paul's mannerisms or his fashion? Or what was it? It was deep. It was deeper than that. It was, Paul says, it was that you received the word in the same type of affliction suffered by me and my team, in the same kind of affliction brought to Christ. They were joining this long line of the persecuted. And Paul said, You did that with joy. Jesus in Matthew 13 tells the story of the the sower, the parable of the sower. It's a a story of the gospel. And, And he says that as the sower sows seeds of the gospel, the message of the gospel, it falls on different soil. And some of the seed falls on rocky soil. And despite the imperfect conditions, the soil seems to receive it and there seem to be roots and there's even signs of life that poke out of the ground, that come, sprout out of the ground. But Jesus says it was short-lived because when the scorching heat, when the sun, blazing sun of persecution and opposition comes, it withers. Jesus' point there was that there was never any life there. There were never any real, deep gospel roots. There's no spiritual life. Paul makes it a point to say, when the gospel comes, it produces roots that go deep despite the opposition. And this was the Thessalonians testimony, enduring joy. Full conviction, enduring joy, repentance and faith. The gospel brings repentance and faith. Look at verse nine. It says, for they themselves, remember he's talking about people everywhere. Report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The gospel produced repentance, a turning from idols and a faith, a trust in the living God. Now, the Thessalonians lived in a culture, they lived lives that would have been steeped in idolatry and cult worship, Paul says that the the gospel obliterated that in your life. It caused you to turn away from those false gods. Now, I know that we we can see, the idea of, of idols can seem so foreign to us. But the truth is that we also serve something. Every one of us, everyone who lives serves something. That is that we give our time and our attention, and our affection, and our money to something. What's even more is that we do all that in search of meaning, and pleasure, and life, and rest, and relief. Those things become little gods, false gods. But when the gospel comes, the gospel obliterates, tears down, pulls down those idols. And we turn to the one true living God. Pastor Ray Ordlin, who ministers in Nashville, paints a really vivid and helpful picture of what it looks like to turn from idols in repentance and turn to faith in Christ. He says it. It's, this, it's like this. It's as if there was a boardroom in every heart. He says big table, leather chairs, coffee, bottled water, whiteboard, and a committee sits around this table. He says, This committee represents our idols, the things that control us, the things that we serve, the things that are always vying for our attention and our obedience. He says this committee is ar- always arguing and debating and voting. They're constantly agitated and upset. He says, for this kind of person, for this kind of heart, there, there's two ways that they can, quote unquote, accept Jesus. One way is to invite him onto the committee, give him a vote. But then he just becomes one more complication. The other way, and the true way to accept Jesus is to say to him, my life isn't working. Please come in and fire my committee. Every last one of them. I hand myself over to you. I am your responsibility now. Please run my whole life for me. There's a lot of Christianity, quote unquote Christianity, that calls on people to invite Jesus to join their life to have a vote. Paul says that's not the way the gospel works. When it resonates deeply, it calls on us to fire the committee and turn our lives over to Jesus. The last thing we'll note about how the gospel transformed, deeply changed the Thessalonians is, to look at verse 10, we see that the gospel brings a longing for Jesus. In addition to their repentance, they were also known. The word that was going out, the word about the Thessalonians were that they were people, in verse 10, that waited for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Their reputation were those who waited, those who longed for the coming of Jesus. That's what the gospel did. It it transformed them in the here and now, but it also made them people who looked for and longed for the return of Jesus. And we don't have time to open up this letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, but it is a letter about the return of Christ and the resurrection of those in Christ. And just briefly, We know that the Thessalonians were people who longed for and looked for Jesus because to them, it meant deliverance from God's wrath. Read chapter five. He tells them about the day of the Lord, but he says, you were not destined for wrath. They longed for Jesus because once and for all, they would ultimately be delivered from the power and the presence and the penalty of sin. Chapter four says that, They looked for it because it was deliverance from death. Verse 13, Paul says, the Thessalonians, believers, I don't want you to be ignorant, I don't want you to be uninformed, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died in Christ, so that you don't sorrow, so that you don't grieve as those who don't have hope. Well, what is the hope in the face of death? If you're looking there, verse 16 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have been deeply transformed by the gospel are those who no longer live for the things of this world but have an eye, a longing eye Longing glance to the coming, the return of Christ, and the resurrection from the dead when they were finally delivered from wrath, finally and ultimately delivered from death. This is the theme of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is their biography. And so the the question to us is Has the gospel ever resonated deeply within your life? The question is not at all, ultimately, do you know the gospel? Could you tell the gospel? The question is, has the gospel, the message of the gospel come to you more than a message? Has it ever been the power of God unto salvation in your life? How would I know? Has it ever brought full conviction, assurance? Has it brought joy? Has it brought repentance and faith? Has it brought a longing for Jesus? And if it has, if you'd say, Jared, it it has, it, it has rung out in my life, is it still echoing in your life? Is your life still ringing with the echo? Are you still a person looking and longing for Jesus, turning away from idols to serve the one and true living God. A church that echoes the gospel loud and clear is first a church that has experienced and is still ringing with the power of the gospel. That's a church that echoes. Only then, after its first deeply resonated with In us will it ring out from our lives and it did ring out from the Thessalonians you know I thought this week if if there was a church experiencing this kind of gospel growth and this kind of impact on their community and region and around the world I bet it wouldn't be long before churches would send delegations to find out just what is happening at this church. Maybe, maybe some authors and church leaders would go. Maybe some authors would go in, in hopes of publishing Echo Church. Bad work. Maybe some church leaders would go in hopes of hosting an Echo Conference. How do we take what the Thessalonians are experiencing and, and bring it everywhere? But I've also thought if the delegations went I just wonder if they would be disappointed. Disappointed to find out there was nothing new, creative, innovative about Paul's preaching of the gospel. He just preached Christ crucified and resurrected. And I wonder if they'd be disappointed to find out that there was no groundbreaking strategy employed by the Thessalonian church. In fact, we're not told much about the ministry of the Thessalonian church. We're not told that there was anything extraordinary, no extraordinary ministry methods, simply this, that the gospel rang out from people who had been transformed and it did so through their lives and through their words. As simple as that. How does the gospel echo? What was the secret No secret, only this. They had been transformed. And so naturally and ordinarily, they displayed the gospel and they proclaimed the gospel. Let's look and see that. Look and see how they displayed the gospel. He says in verse seven, that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. They displayed the gospel. They became an example Their lives became an example. That word there is the word for pattern. Again, with preschoolers and kindergartners in our home, we have patterns everywhere. There are things to be traced everywhere. Dotted lines forming letters, dotted lines forming numbers, right? There's patterns everywhere. Young ones need patterns to learn a behavior until it becomes natural. This is what was happening in this church. Christ was the pattern. Paul followed that pattern. He traced the life of Christ. He became an example. He became a pattern for others to follow. And now the Thessalonians were following that pattern. And even though they're relatively young in their faith, because they've traced Paul, who has traced Christ, guess what? Now they're a pattern for believers everywhere. I'd encourage you to read the letter to the Thessalonians. Read how they were an example. It's so interesting. Almost everywhere that Paul encourages them and challenges them, he also includes language like, keep doing this. Do this more and more. You don't need me to tell you anything about this, but I'm going to. What were those things? Chapter four, This was a church that was experiencing personal holiness. They were growing in personal holiness. They were growing in their love for one another. This was a church that was growing in living faithful lives in which they worked hard. They were growing in in living quiet, faithful lives before God and before others. Again, we could think if people traced our life, the ordinary, day, the ordinary everyday stuff of life, not when we're on ministry, but when we're living out our life, if they traced our life, would they be tracing the gospel? Would they be tracing Christ's life? A life changed slowly, yes, slowly, but surely by the power of the gospel is a powerful megaphone for the gospel. Our lives amplify the message of the gospel. But think about this. A a megaphone is only useful if we speak into it, right? A microphone, even if it's on, it's only good if we have something to say. And the Thessalonians had something to say. They put the gospel on display, but they also proclaimed the gospel. That's what he says in verse eight that the word of the Lord had sounded forth from you. Some have said, well, it was just the Thessalonians' example that echoed out. But the text seems very clear that the word of the Lord sounded forth from them. That phrase sounded forth is where we get the word echo, where we get our series title. It must sound forth from us. We've heard the the quote, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And I hate to pile on it again, but it's always necessary. It's always necessary. Yes, our lives should preach the gospel. Our actions, our deeds should show forth the gospel, but it will always be necessary to use words. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. How will they call on him? in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Joe Capel and I are teaming up to teach a training course here on Sunday mornings, this is week two, on two ways to live, knowing and sharing the gospel. And I taught last week, I had the privilege of teaching last week, and such a simple line in the training course rang true to me said this, one thing that is true of all believers, they've heard the gospel. Okay, not, not exactly groundbreaking, but think about that. As unique as our stories are of how we heard the gospel, one thing is true of all of us, we heard the gospel. There's no such thing as a believer who's not heard the gospel. Hearing precedes believing. We must be people who proclaim the gospel. And I thought about this this week, what does it look like? What would it look like if our church, starting here, if we lived lives that displayed and proclaimed the gospel? You know, I thought there, there really are a couple ways to think about this. And I'm, I'm gonna just show you a diagram. Think about how this might happen. Lord willing, by his grace, we will be a church, we must be a church that proclaims the message of Jesus Christ. In everything we do, that starting here, we would proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel message faithfully. But then where does it go from there? Well, it might go out to ministries, might go out to age specific ministries that we want the gospel to go to children through children's ministry and students through student ministry and college ministry and senior adult ministry and on and on and out that the gospel would go out that way. And then the gospel would go out through special programs and events that we would do special things around here and invite the community to join us, things that would give us a platform to display and proclaim the gospel. And then from there, we would do other things, more intentional, strategic ways to bless our community through local outreach. We do these type of things. And then from there, it would echo out even further, global outreach to where we are sending and supporting missionaries all over the globe. And I wanna tell you something about this first model. It's not bad. There's a lot good about this. There are a lot of things that we can do together as a church that we can't do separately. We see examples of that in the New Testament. But I also want to call your attention to the fact that if this is our only model, if this is primarily our model of echoing the gospel, we're gonna run into limitations. These things require a place. These things require a budget. These things require a staff. These things require volunteers. These things require availability. And if it's dependent on those things, it's limited by those things. Any church, no matter how large, only has so much of those resources to go around. And it can also make us reliant on other people, on programs, on events, on activity, to do the work of echoing forth the gospel. Let me show you another model. Imagine this with me. There would be a church that would proclaim faithfully the gospel. Then how might it echo out from there? Well, it might echo in our families. where ordinary families in the everyday stuff of life would grow in the gospel together. That our children and our relatives would hear and know the gospel, see the gospel and be transformed by it. Well, where would it go from there? Well, from there, it might go to our neighbors. That ordinary people like you and me in the everyday stuff of life would be Constantly displaying, demonstrating, proclaiming the gospel as we have opportunities to our neighbors. Well, well then, how could it echo out from there? What, with our coworkers and our classmates, to our community and beyond. Again, there is nothing wrong with that first model. I'm all for it, but we cannot treat it as primary and we cannot treat it as essential. This is the great commission model of echoing the gospel. And think of the genius behind it from our Lord Jesus Christ. There are no limitations. It's not restricted to the church gathered. It goes out through the church scattered as every single one of us go out and live humble, faithful lives, putting the gospel on display, proclaiming the gospel through at times insufficient conversations, stumbling and bumbling our way to try to explain the gospel. Yes, we grow in it, but think about the impact that we could have in this room across our church if every one of us went out to live lives that echo, not dependent upon the church, gather church programs and church staff and church budgets, That's a limited model. This, by the power of the Spirit, is exponential in its power. I wanna just point out one last thing, one last point, but it's really our conclusion. The question is, have we been transformed deeply by the gospel? Has it resonated deeply within us? And if it has, we must be people who demonstrate, display, and proclaim the gospel. But I wanna encourage you with this, that the gospel echo is not dependent upon me and you. And the truth is, the gospel will always echo far beyond us. That was the story of the Thessalonians, he says, in verse eight, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, all right, that's home base, and Achaia, that's out further regionally, southern province, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So we need not say anything. Paul says the, the, the gospel has gone out near. it has echoed in close proximity, locally and regionally. And the gospel has even gone out globally from you. And we would say, How does this church, this small church in the face of persecution, how do they proclaim the gospel everywhere? How does it echo out from them everywhere? Well, we could, we could talk about Thessalonica as a tr- strategic location for reaching the, the rest of Europe. And it was. It was a port city, it was a prime location, people coming in, people going out. But what made the gospel so powerful was not any key location or any key strategy. It was that this message was the power of God unto salvation, to transform. And because it is the power of God, it will echo forth in ways that we could have never imagined and in ways that we will not be aware of on this side of eternity. That God, because the gospel is the power of God into salvation, we have no idea how powerful the smallest displays of the gospel are and how powerful the humblest presentation of the gospel is. I was reminded of this this week or a few weeks ago when I was listening to a podcast and there was an interview conducted with Randy Alcorn. And he's, a, he's an author. He's really devoted much of his time writing fiction in order to reach those who would never pick up Christian literature. But it's infused with the gospel. And I appreciate his ministry. He gives away almost all the money from the books, all the profits to missions and ministry. But he said one thing he tries to do is when he's in the airport, when he's traveling somewhere, carry a few of these books and just give them away. He said, one time I was, I was traveling, I was in the airport, I was running late, I was late to my gate, and I was thinking, Lord, there's one book in my bag, but I'm late to my gate. But Lord, if you will put someone in front of me, I'll hand this to them. And he was He was making his way towards where he was supposed to be, where he needed to get through security. And he saw a young lady the opposite way, right? You can feel the tension and he said, okay, Lord, I just feel like you want me to go and give this book to her. She was in her mid twenties, she was reading something and he gave her the book and said, hey, I don't have a lot of time, but I just feel like the Lord wants me to give this to you. May the Lord bless you. He said, I ran to my plane and I tried to be faithful to pray for her. But after a few weeks, you kind of move on to to different things. He said, years later, I got an email and it started like this. Dear Randy, you, you probably don't remember me, but I was in an airport and you came up to me and in a brief conversation, you handed me a book and told me that you'd be praying for me. She said, I am writing this from China. I have studied Mandarin Chinese, the Lord through the power of the gospel called me to take his message, the message of Christ to China. And I want you to know, she ended with this, I want you to know, I have never known such joy. Think about how the gospel in Randy Alcorn was distributed in the smallest, humblest, less than ideal circumstances. But the power of the gospel included in that book went out and transformed the life of a young lady who is now giving her life to echo the gospel in China. Amazing. And I want you to know, and I am assuring myself this morning that the gospel is so powerful. God will take the smallest, most humble displays of the gospel and God will take the most insufficient and humblest of presentations of the gospel of you and of me And he will transform lives by the power of his gospel. His gospel doesn't return empty. It echoes forth powerfully. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe for you, Today you have heard the gospel, not only in word, but maybe for the first time, you have heard it and the spirit of God has brought full conviction that the message of Christ is true and you need it. It's never transformed your life. I was where you were one time. I was a churched young man who knew answers but had not been transformed by the gospel. Today could be your day. If that's you, respond to the gospel. Know the power of salvation through Jesus Christ. Maybe for others, you need to consider how God wants you to display and proclaim the gospel. Maybe God has brought somebody to your mind, a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate. He's leading you to minister to them in some way. Who has God put in front of you to whom you could sound forth the gospel?